Hi, everyone. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to episode 16. 17. <laughs> Welcome to episode 17 of Real Talk About Feminism. My name's Haley. My name's Mackenzie. We're a little discombobulated because I messed up what topic we were doing today. Like we yeah. planned out a couple months in advance. And when we were talking about the planning for this episode, I was like, all right, I researched everything. Like I'm all ready for tomorrow night. Um, and Haley was like, that's not the topic we're doing. That's next week. So, you made me so we changed bratty. it. <laughs> no, 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 you were nice. We're also a little discombobulated because I feel like we just recorded. So a little behind the scenes, we normally record on Saturdays mm-hmm. and then we edit everything on Saturdays so that we can post on Sunday because weekends are like we're busy during the week. Yeah. Um, but this week I'm going to Cali. Um, we're leaving Thursday morning. And so we didn't want to skip a week and we wanted to keep everything consistent. So we are recording now what's today Tuesday Tuesday night yeah Tuesday night it's like eight o'clock here in the night and so it's a little bit weird because we normally record like midday on a Saturday so we're just a little bit just a little yeah (laughs) I can't even speak we're a little bit uh confused um so speaking of mixing things up a little bit we are not going to be doing a feminist highlight for this episode but don't get upset because this entire episode is a feminist highlight. Basically, yeah. Yeah. So, But it's exciting. <laughs> yes, it's really exciting. So should we just dive right into the bulk of what we have for today? Yeah. Every time you say that, all I can think about is that is your baby. <laughs> you love saying, let's dive right into the feminist highlight. Let's dive into the bulk of the episode. <laughs> I just love saying dive in. It makes me feel like a professional. <laughs> it's a good transition. <laughs> Okay, so let's dive in. Um, So Uh, today we are going to be talking about, um, okay, so we were going to talk about women in healthcare. And as you guys know, we've posted a little bit on Instagram about this, but for any of our new listeners, uh, me and Ken's are both in healthcare. I'm not currently mm -hmm. using my certificates, but... Up until a couple weeks ago. Right. So um, I'm an EMT and a phlebotomist. I'm a CNA, which is a certified nurse aide, and I'm certified as a phlebotomist, but I've never used my certification yet. Yeah. So CNA and phlebotomist and EMT and phlebotomist. So we're pretty much a power couple. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, just kidding. But um, so we both, we do work in healthcare. And so we wanted to do an episode about like women in healthcare because mm-hmm. even though like especially in nursing, like nursing is a dominated female field, but there's still a lot of like disrespect towards nurses in the field. Mm-hmm. Um and I would say even like so EMTs that's male dominated, but you, I think phlebotomy is female dominated. I agree. And yeah. I would say CNA definitely but we've both had experiences where we've um been disrespected strictly because of our gender so just because it's a female dominated career doesn't mean that there's not like uh, gender like prejudice so 
we wanted to talk about that, but we don't want to do a lifestyle episode. Right. And like the thing with this topic is there are so many avenues we could explore with this. Like we could literally talk about just stories from our careers. We could talk about like women in STEM and healthcare together. We could talk about what we're doing today, which is like kind of like the prejudice and disrespect towards We'll, we'll probably focus on nursing because, like, that's such a female-dominated career in healthcare, but just in general, like, women in healthcare. Yeah, so those are all things that, like, we totally could focus on and we could spend a lot of time on, mm-hmm. but the, the woman that we're choosing to highlight today is she's actually an immunologist, so she's a researcher and a scientist, um, and her name... <clears throat> Sorry. You've been practicing. <laughs> Her name is Kismikia Corbett. So I'm going to refer to her as Dr. Corbett because she is a doctor. Um, but her full name is Kismikia Corbett. Um, so like I said, she is an American viral immunologist. And I came across her from my dad, actually, because... I would say our dad, he, he's raised all daughters. And so Mm -hmm. he really encourages us like, you know, to do what we want, even like no matter our gender. Yeah. Um, And he's very um, motivating to us to follow our dreams. And he He sends, he is, and he'll send us articles like that. He's found on LinkedIn. I think they're all. Girl, I was going to say that. (laughs) Yeah. He'll send us like articles and he'll be like, look at what, this amazing woman did like you guys can do whatever you put your mind to Mm -hmm. and so he I think he sent me an article about Kismikia and so this is how I found out about her I'm pretty sure it was through my dad or maybe he didn't send me an article but he did tell me about her um so she was one of the lead scientists working on the Moderna COVID vaccine wow which is a huge deal because that's a really big vaccine that a lot of people have been getting recently. I got Moderna. I didn't get Pfizer, but I, I didn't got get Moderna, Moderna too. <laughs> I didn't know you got Moderna. I thought you got Pfizer. You always say that. No, I got Moderna. Well, so we both got Moderna. Um, mm-hmm. So we're supporting you, Kismikia. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening at all. <laughs> um, but... That's how I found out about her. So we wanted to just focus on her because she's really amazing and super smart. So Dr. Corbett, she was born January 26th of 1986. So she's not even that old. She's in her 30s. And she's helped develop this vaccine. So super successful, super smart. Um, So during high school... Dr. Corbett, she was part of a program called Project Seed, Um, and this program, basically, she was able to spend her summer breaks as an intern at research labs. So, I don't know many high schoolers who would want to spend all summer in a lab researching things. I definitely wouldn't have wanted to. I didn't even want to during chemistry, like, for one class. (laughs) Right. But that's pretty amazing, and that's really cool that they have programs like that that allow high schoolers to work in a research mm-hmm. lab because that's really good experience. I'd say. Yeah, definitely a, a really good point <laughs> for the resume. So um, she did that in high school over the summer with Project Seed. 
Um, and then she graduated from Hillsborough High School in 2004, um, class of 04, pretty cool. Um, and then in, 2000, <laughs> in 2005, so right after the right after she graduated, she was a summer intern at SUNY Stony Brook Labs, and um, she studied a pathogen called forgive me if I butcher this. Um, the science name is Yersinia pseudotuberculosis. And for all of us who have no idea what that is, it's a bacteria that causes scarlet fever in humans. So she studied that um, wow. her summer after graduating high school. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool. Um, especially because that name sounds so official and scientific. Like... Pseudotuberculosis. <laughs> right. <laughs> So she she did that the summer after graduating um, high school. Um, she studied the bacteria that causes scarlet fever. And so that was in 2005. Then from 2006 to, th- to 2007, um, Dr. Corbett, she worked as a lab tech at the University of Maryland School of Nursing while she was attending the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, UMBC. Um, and she had a full scholarship while she was attending the University of Maryland at Baltimore County. So wow. I don't think she was in the nursing school because she's an immunologist, but she was working in the lab at the nursing school while she was attending school. Okay. And she was on a scholarship, so obviously she was very smart. Even just the short span of years, like right after she graduated, I can't even believe what she did. Right. That's so cool. I know, pretty cool um, that she accomplished. Yeah, because this was 2007. She gra- 2006 to 2007. She graduated in 2004. That's she's like already working. three years. Yeah. Yeah. She's working in a lab. So that's awesome. But, I mean, her summer breaks as an intern at Research Labs, they probably really wanted her at the college lab. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So pretty cool. Um, so then... From 2006 to 2009, so this overlaps with her time spent as a lab tech. Um, wait, technically, I was a lab tech. That was my job position. You were a lab tech. Wasn't that your title? Yeah, I was a lab technician. So I wonder, as an immunologist, mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't say that, if, like, what she did exactly. Yeah. Because you were a lab, te- a lab tech, but you were using your phlebotomy license. Right. Like, I was doing medical stuff. So I wonder if she was a lab tech, but she was like, you know, studying. Like researching stuff. or yeah. assisting. Yeah. Yeah. So really cool. Still super cool. Um, so 2006 to 2009, um, this interlaps her time working as a lab tech. Um, Dr. Corbett worked as a biological sciences trainer at the National Institute of Health. So oh my gosh, that's a very <laughs> high up organization. And she worked alongside Dr. Barney Graham, and he is the deputy director of the VRC, which is a vaccine research center. Okay, so pause. So 2009, how old would she have been? 1986. I'm not good at mental math, so. So she would have been. 14 plus 9. 23. I hope that's right. 
Okay. So, so roughly was, around 23. She was 23 and doing all this. So yeah, at 23 years old, she was attending college. She was working as a lab tech at her school. And then she was also working as a trainer at the National Institute of Health alongside the deputy director of a vaccine research center. Wow. <laughs> wow. Like, honestly. And here at this vaccine research center with Dr. Graham, she studied um, a virus that caused respiratory tract infections in infants and child childhood, like through mm-hmm. infancy and childhood. Um, so that's pretty cool. And like, I know with like immunologists, they study something very specific. And a lot of times mm-hmm. they'll take that thing and they could study it for their whole life. So she was already like studying this kind of as like, like kind of specializing in it because she was working alongside the deputy director, which is pretty cool. That is cool. <laughs> um, so while she was at the National Institute of Health, um, she had an opportunity to start studying human antibody responses to the dengue fever virus in children in Sri Lanka in 2009. Um, so she was able to travel over there and also like still study here in the U.S., Um, and she studied antibody responses in kids with the dengue fever. And she actually became so interested in this that it became the subject of her dissertation in 2017 when she went back to school later in life. So, you know, this was in 2009 when she was studying this. And then in 2017, she wrote her dissertation on it and she was attending the University of North Carolina Carolina at Chapel Hill. Wow. <laughs> so I feel like literally all I'm saying through this episode is wow. <laughs> I mean, I don't really know what else to say because she's obviously like very educated, very smart. Mm-hmm. And you can tell she just has a passion to learn and also to help people because without immunologists and like people who want to study like the tiniest little things that can kill us. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have, like, vaccines and we wouldn't have cures to these diseases and everything. But they choose to study that. And they're so smart. And they're able you have to come to be. up with You things. have to be so dedicated. Like, the amount of schooling, focus. Because, like, in her case now, like, there's literally people's lives in her hands. So, right. like, you really, really have to know your stuff. Right. Like, obviously very educated and has a passion for learning. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I know this is a ton of information, but we're almost done. I'm kind of, like, word vomiting right yeah, now. Yeah, and it's just – no, no, you're doing great. Like, it's just supposed to be, like, fun to learn about her career and, like, what led up to her literally being a part of history and right. creating this – or helping right. um, with the process of creating the vaccine. So – which we both had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because she is, this is the whole process of how mm-hmm. she got to where she is now. So, very true. Okay. So, um, next in her life, Dr. Corbett began her research at the National Institute of Health, working on the development for vaccines for SARS and MERS. So, okay. SARS is se- Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. 
And then MERS is Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. And these are both two types of coronaviruses. Oh. So a common misconception um, with the vaccine, a lot of people are afraid of getting it because, oh, one year isn't enough to create a vaccine. Well, this was at least 10 years ago. And or it was probably around about 10 years ago. And they've been working on developing vaccines for coronaviruses for years. And so they already have like, you know, like, I don't know the official, they already have samples of vaccines Mm -hmm. for types of coronaviruses and COVID-19 is a type of coronavirus. So it's not just like it came out of the blue. Yeah, I always forget that because like when we hear COVID now, it's just like only COVID-19. Right. But like you have to wonder like if it's number 19, like there's 18 other ones. So that's very interesting. I forget that a lot. Hmm. I didn't know that that meant there well, were 18 other ones. I mean, I hope so. <laughs> but like if it's number 19, like and if these are both two types of coronaviruses, like I don't know. I Please don't take any of what I'm saying as facts. <laughs> but like it just makes sense. Like there would be other ones. Maybe there's not 18. Right. But there definitely is. Like there's yeah. different types of flus and whatnot. Yeah, there's like flu A, flu B. So yeah. definitely and that's something that I don't think they really talk about because I didn't really recognize this until a few weeks ago, actually. It was before I was researching for this episode. Mm-hmm. But I was I came across something and I was like, oh yeah, that's true. Like there's different types of coronaviruses. And that's why when we first started calling it coronavirus, when it first broke out, then mm-hmm. news sources and like doctors and everything corrected it. Like it's it's a type of right, coronavirus, right. but it's COVID-19. It's not the coronavirus because there's not just one. Yeah. And on like Clorox wipes and like other disinfectant wipes that we get, it says um, kills coronaviruses, like not just coronavirus. So that's interesting. very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. So, I mean, everyday demonstration, if it's on Clorox wipes, like, there's more than one. Mm -hmm. And so um, Dr. Corbett, she was on the team that was researching at the National Institute of Health um, these two types of coronaviruses, um, and she was developing vaccines. So flash forward to the pandemic of 2020, when it started, we're still in it, but... um, (laughs) She was on the team that was developing the vaccine for COVID-19 and her and some of the members of her team identified the quote spike protein in COVID-19 and they discovered this in December of 2019 when it first broke out in China, the virus. Um, And Okay, let me correct something I said. Actually, I think COVID-19 is named because it broke out in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, please don't take what I'm saying is fact. <laughs> oh my gosh, I feel so stupid now. That makes a bit more sense than like, oh yeah, there's 18 other ones. Wouldn't you I'm, say? <laughs> I'm wondering now. Um, Let's Google it. Why is COVID-19 called COVID-19? <laughs> um, on February 11th, Oh no. Oh no. Do I okay. look like an idiot? So this is this is um from the World Health Health Organization. Okay. On February eleventh, twenty twenty, the World Health Organization announced an official name for the disease that is causing the 2019 novel coronavirus outbreak. 
first identified in Wuhan, China. The new name of this disease is Coronavirus 2019, abbreviated as COVID-19. So I'm never living this down. (laughs) So COVID-19 got its name because it is the coronavirus outbreak of 2019. That's when it started. Which makes sense. Okay, so there are other types, but there's not 18. (laughs) Okay, okay. That's okay. We're all learning. Now we know. Yeah, now we know. So um, let's see. Okay, so flash forward to 2019. COVID-19 breaks out in China. So... Um, Dr. Corbett and her team members started studying it to try and come up with a vaccine because it was already killing thousands of people in China. Mm-hmm. And they knew it was going to come over here and become a worldwide thing. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to get ahead of it. So they started researching it and they identified the spike protein, quote, um, and this claw-shaped protein, it's the claw-shaped portion of the protein, um, it permeates healthy human skin and infects the person with the virus. So they discovered that that's how people get infected mm-hmm. with that shape of the protein, which is mind blowing to me that like that they can figure that out. Yeah. Like yeah. you figure out that the shape of the protein is what is infecting people. Oh my gosh. I, I just think it's so cool. Like I can't imagine how accomplished they felt and great when like they saw all their all their hard work finally mm-hmm. coming to fruition. Like I can't imagine the hours, days, months spent in the lab. Yeah. And like when it first broke out, they had like people, like all medical professionals were working day in and day out. And like one of, there was a physician in China who died because he was working. He literally was working nonstop oh my gosh. to try and save people. Um, so yeah, like these people were working day in and day out to try and find something and they found the, this little spike protein. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge accomplishment for their team. Um, and and, for us (laughs) and for us. Yeah. We, we have a vaccine now. Um, so because of her work finding the spike protein with her team, Dr. Corbett was chosen to lead the team of scientists who partnered with the company called Moderna and they, she led the team that developed the vaccine and that's a huge accomplishment. That is really cool. Since she was the one leading the team on March 3rd of 2020, Dr. Corbett was able to share her research at the national Institute of health with at the time, president Donald Trump, And he took a tour of, like, the lab and everything, and she was able to explain how the vaccine works, how promising it is, like, all of the research that they've done. And after that, and we'll, since we're, since she's our feminist highlight, we'll post on the Instagram pictures of her because there was actually a really cool picture of her with President Trump, at the time he was President Trump, um, and some of the other researchers in the lab. And that's just really cool because she was with, the United States president at the time and the, her colleagues and people that she had led to come up with this vaccine that's saving lives. And Mm -hmm. it's just a really cool image and it's really cool. So we'll post that on Instagram. Definitely. Um, I haven't seen that either. So I'm going to, yeah, no. (laughs) Yeah. We'll post it because it's really cool. Um, So three days after this tour with Donald Trump, 
he signed a bill that authorized $8.3 billion um, as a response to coronavirus. And this included at least $3 billion for accelerated research on a vaccine and treatment. And so that is what got us the vaccine so easily available to us today. Because now you can go anywhere and get a vaccine for for free. free. Yeah. Jared totally did. He walked into Sam's Club and they gave it to him right then and there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's amazing because now I know that there's a lot of people who are against the vaccine But I, for one, feel way more comfortable going out in public and traveling, like, doing all of that stuff. Like, when I – so you all know in April I took a trip to Portland, Oregon, Like, and it was, like, this whole trip. We talked about it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, My friend I went with, um, she was not vaccinated, and I was, and – I felt super comfortable and she was scared the whole time. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a really good thing. It is. Um, I lost my train of thought already. It is like I, with the Delta variant, I've started wearing a mask in the store again, just because you never know. Mm -hmm. And like with flu season, that's going to come in a couple months. Like that terrifies me too, because even though I always get my flu vaccine, like you just never know. And like, if I've learned anything from COVID, it's like, people are so gross. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm such a clean freak now. But I feel so comfortable and, like, so much better knowing that, like, both, like, Jared and I are both vaccinated. Mm-hmm. So, like, when he wasn't and I was, like, I was so nervous to, like, not wear a mask. Like, I still did because I could give him something. And even though we are vaccinated, we can still carry it and give it, you know, um, pass it along. But I do feel so much more comfortable. Like, I really trust science so I got the vaccine as soon as I could like I didn't even give it a second thought yeah so did I um and I feel great I got more sick than I've ever been right after but now I'm fine yeah you were pretty sick yeah because I don't get sick that often no no it was like a different kind of sick though it was it just felt like the body flu but like Mm -hmm. I was like down and out and I had to Mm -hmm. take a test for anatomy that that Saturday and I literally was just like and it was it was a proctored exam too so they like record your screen and they record you and everything just so that you don't cheat but Mm -hmm. I like literally rolled out of bed to take it and I had like my hood up and my hair was all messy and I was like nobody judge me (laughs) nobody judge me I didn't get that sick after like my arm literally like my whole bicep or tricep like it was red like you could tell there was like a defining red circle I should find a picture of it because it was bad but like I was just super tired Mm -hmm. I I didn't get sick it didn't take me out of work or anything yeah well that's crazy so (laughs) you're like I don't know what to say (laughs) I don't have a good transition for that um so I wanted to just read a quote from Dr. Corbett um about why she did the the vaccine Uh, Before we move on to just a quick little back and forth, a few little personal stories from me and Ken. A little back and forth. Sorry, I don't know (laughs) what. A little banter. (laughs) Um, um, So Dr. Corbett, she was interviewed, and we'll put the link in the show notes so that you can read this. But she said, quote, the reason that I started to work in coronavirus was not to ever develop a vaccine. 
but really to have such a strong understanding in vaccine immune responses that we should we could potentially develop one end quote wow so she didn't get into it knowing she was going to develop a vaccine no but she wanted to have that knowledge in case she needed to and she did <laughs> that's she really did. cool I didn't hear any of this. Like we didn't talk about this before we started recording. So it was all new to me too. But when you first started, I was wondering how does she get to the point where she literally is the head of developing the vaccine for Mm -hmm. Moderna. And I think it's really cool. Like when you told, when you said that she was working on other coronaviruses, it clicked. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, I bet that she didn't get into it. Like, Oh yeah, I'm going to develop a vaccine one day. Like, no one ever knows, but it's really cool that everything in her life led up to that exactly happening. And she obviously was meant to do that. And I just think it's really cool. It is super cool. Um, and obviously we're very thankful that she chose to yes, use her knowledge. Are. Yes, we are. And we got her vaccine. So I feel really cool. <laughs> yeah, we did get her vaccine. So obviously, um, before we even knew that she was the one that developed it, we got Moderna because feminism is just in our blood. Yeah. We yeah. Just, like we just had an intuition. <laughs> we just support women, you know, so. Have a little bit of um, Dr. Corbett in us. Yeah, there we go. And that oh, sounds weird. <laughs> it, it really does. In our shoddy arms. I'll clarify. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> Anyways, let's go on. <laughs> uh, so, um, when I think about any personal stories, there's a lot because, um, oh, actually, you have a lot. Now that I'm thinking about it, there's a lot. Um, so there's a lot of I experienced a lot of sexism um, as an EMT, also as a phlebotomist, um, but not as much. But definitely like. I literally had one day working as a phlebotomist that I was drawing. I drew on like three guys in a row and not saying that all men are sexist because they're not. But there was a day that I drew on three guys in a row and it was a very stressful day. And they were just trying to tell me how to do my job and were questioning me. And like everyone misses occasionally. But like that day, I didn't miss on any of them. And I did my job. (laughs) And... It's just so annoying, like, when you have people constantly questioning you, and... Well, yeah, because, like, you you start to second-guess everything that you're doing, and it's right. like, is my form right? Am I doing the process right? Like, and you're like, if I mess up, then it's just going to prove to them that I don't know what I'm doing, but, like, you actually right. do. It, it's incredibly frustrating. Yeah, it sucks, and so um, one time that I'm specifically thinking of, I'll just share one story, was on the ambulance, and... One of my partners, we worked together. I We worked together quite a bit towards the end of my time um, on the ambulance. And um, I loved working with her. She was one of my favorite partners. Um, and so, honestly, we were just like a dynamic duo. And we were like a power team. Because she was a little bit taller than me. I'm 5'2", 5'2 and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was, she was probably like five, four, I think. Um, you guys are both small. Yeah. We were both, we're both pretty small. And like when you have to lift the patient into the ambulance, like on the stretcher, the way it happens is like the stretcher 
hooks there's a hook in the back so that you don't you can't just like pull them out so you hook the stretcher on the back and sometimes you got to lift that up so you're lifting that up one person is lifting the stretcher up at the head if it's not tall enough the stretcher um so you lift them up back there hook them on and then one person grabs the wheels and one person has the foot end and they're grabbing the triggers and then pushing them in to the ambulance so that's probably really confusing but what I'm getting at is you have to be able to lift them into the ambulance and you either have the wheels safely. or you have the, yeah, safely. Mm-hmm. And like uh, stretcher safety is like a big thing and it can get really dangerous because this person, like you're holding them. And there was so many patients and there was some, there, there, it was actually like, I would say there was more men who would make comments and I served the geriatric population. So it was older men. Um, But there was definitely some women who they would be like, oh, no, 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 like, um, because we would work out of skilled nursing facilities, and we would take patients to the hospital from skilled nursing facilities. So there would be nurses inside or like CNAs or anything. And they'd be like, oh, no, honey, like, go get one of the men to lift me up, please. Like, I don't trust you. And it's really annoying, because you're like, okay, um, we're trying to get you to the hospital. And I obviously can do my job because I've been through physical tests. Like, you can't get a job unless you've done the physical. Yeah, as an EMT, you have to be. Yeah, um, and so. Physical. Yeah, you do. And so it's annoying because it's like, I've passed a physical test and I might not look that strong, but I'm, I've been doing this for a little bit and I'm not going to drop you. You know, and like, obviously, mm-hmm. like, it's scary. You're in an emergency situation. You're going to the hospital. It's a lot. But that was like the biggest time or like, it was always so annoying to me when I would be with a, a male partner and you switch off on who's leading and so like you're either in the back or you're driving and you switch off every call so like it would be my turn to lead the call and I would be very professional doing my job performing all the interventions I needed just like the my male partner would do and they would be like um no I want him in the back with me and it's just like or like they wouldn't trust me driving like it's just like there's like they would there would always be like you can never win yeah you can never win yeah, and that's just annoying. And like like Ken said, it's hard because then you start questioning yourself. And like you can't let it get to you, but like sometimes like if you're like doing something and they're like, "Oh, um no, like I don't think you can do it." Then you're like stressed and it's like, "Okay, well am I am I doing it right even though you know you are?" Like it's just really frustrating and upsetting. And I really I don't miss that treatment at no. all. No. Oh my gosh, no. Um It also, like, along with just being a woman, (laughs) like, at least for us, I know we've both been questioned for age, too. Like, I've had so many nurses in facilities be like, how old are you? And, like, I tell them my age, and they're like, why are you doing this? Like, are you even allowed to work there? I'm like, yes, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's so annoying. Like, I don't know. I would never say that to somebody. You know, if I saw that maybe like a transfer situation was getting unsafe and the person was obviously incompetent, like I would probably um, like call their their company or their agency. But like I would never just question someone right off the bat. Right. And like there's plenty of people in any field. But like since we're talking about healthcare specifically, there's plenty of people who might have 20 years of experience but are just not good at their job because they don't have a passion for patient care or they don't have a passion for what they're doing or they're burnt out. Like so many different reasons, but like sometimes 
obviously experience helps, but sometimes it's mm-hmm. not everything. No, no. Um, there's a, we, okay. So where I work, I go into different patients' homes or facilities and, um, give like patient showers or baths, things like, things like that. So there's one facility I tag team with one of my coworkers. He's a male and he has been a CNA for 30 years, like oh, wow. a long time. Mm-hmm. I applaud him for that because <laughs> like I, yeah. I'm a little over a year in and it's getting rough. So um, he has a lot of experience, obviously, and um, he's a bigger guy. Like he's very strong. So it's very nice to be able to have him to help with transfers, but Mm -hmm. I'm plenty capable of helping and assisting and doing transfers my own. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the facility that we um, see patients at together, it's a secure memory unit and the patients are so demented and their diseases have progressed so far that they're basically just dead weight. So like, it's very difficult to transfer these patients. They require at least two people, sometimes three. It's very intense, but like we have a system down together. We both know how we work, how we transfer. We both know like what the other is capable of. And, um, so we do all the transfers just us two, but occasionally some of the facility staff will come in the room and, um, like when we transfer, it's like him on under one arm, me under the other. And, um, male staff will come in and say, Oh honey, do you want me to do that? Or like, honey, are you sure you have it? I'm like, first off, don't call me honey, please, at work. That bugs the crap out of me. Unless you're a patient, then it's cute. (laughs) But like, I'm like, no, I can do it. Like, I know how to. And like one time, literally, like it was mid-transfer and the patient started like squirming around. But we had her, obviously, Mm -hmm. like it's not the first time that's happened. And this guy, the staff worker literally comes in and like, is like trying to scooch me out of the way and get under the arm. But like, it's mid transfer. Like it was so unsafe. Yeah. And after I was like, you know, I have that, right? Like we do this all the time. Right. And he was like, I I just didn't, I didn't think you had it. Like he's so much stronger than you are. I was like, yeah, obviously. Like, I don't think I'm that strong, but like, I know what I can do. Like I do this all the time. Right. And so, the thing is like, we also, cause like I would have to transfer, transfer patients too. And when you're saying that I'm like, yep, I've experienced that because yeah. people come in, but like, we also know our own limitations. And exactly. so if we need to ask for help, we will ask for help because mm-hmm. we care about the patient and mm-hmm. we're not going to put the patient in danger. So like, exactly. It's just like, it's so frustrating. I'm like, trust me, if I need help, I'll ask, but it's not because like, I'm weak. It's because I know the needs of my patients and I'm not going to endanger them. Right. So we have plenty of stories we could share about that, (laughs) but like it it happens all the time. That was just like one very specific one where like it literally put the patient in danger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's just interesting because like, like right before we started recording, um, Mm -hmm. we were talking about this, like it's a female nursing is a female dominated career so why is because like neither of us are nurses but like people are still disrespected yeah and like a lot of careers in healthcare are female dominated like cna um phlebotomy most definitely i would say Mm -hmm. i actually with phlebotomy it might be like 50 50 yeah i met a lot of phlebotomists but where i worked it was all women all women yeah so it's just, like, interesting that, like, even in, like, a female-dominated, 
workforce, there's still sexism against us. And it's like, so it's not like there's more men like, you know, over us, like dominate. It's like patience. And so I, I think mm-hmm. it's like a cultural thing sometimes and that needs to change, but it's just interesting. And so we wanted to kind of like highlight that at the end. Um, but we mostly just wanted to recognize um, Dr. Corbett. Dr. Corbett. The lovely lady herself. That is very cool. I'm glad we did like an extended feminist highlight because mm-hmm. there's so much to her. And like, we could literally do like a series on her. Like we didn't even touch on her early life or like um, things that have happened since the development of the Moderna vaccine. Like I, mm-hmm. I bet there's just so much more to her than um, her career, but it's very cool to even discuss that. Yeah. So like we said, we're going to post the feminist highlight for her. Um, we'll post it on Monday and so if you want to check out more about her we're gonna post links in the show notes Mm -hmm. and um just like some really cool resources and some interviews with her she's gorgeous and so she really just does it all and so just check out those resources and check out our insta at real talk about feminism and for any of you guys who are listening on spotify or podbean google podcasts um our YouTube is Real Talk About Feminism Podcast. So we've been really promoting it. This is our third episode on YouTube, but it's so fun to watch. And it's really fun. It just feels different now that we're video. It does, yeah. It's so, really cool. Yeah, definitely go watch that. And um, we will see you guys You next don't even week. have to watch us diligently. Like, just set it up while you're doing your makeup or, like, cooking dinner. That's what I do when I watch podcasts. Yeah, I just have it on in the background because, I mean, you're mainly listening anyways, but, like, for exactly. certain little things, like, like when yeah. me, me describing the stretcher movement, like, you know, I'm doing action, so. Yeah. Yeah, super fun. Okay. So, <laughs> tune in there. Um, and, yeah. That we'll was it for today. <laughs> Come back next week with episode 18. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>